Here's what's coming up on today's show. But in times like now, when inflation's printing over 8%, the problem with that is now they're purchasing power. So they're good today and they're safe today. But in five years and 10 years, that same dollar, because they were being conservative with it, isn't going to have the same purchasing power as it will in the future. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. It's time for the Retirement Success Blueprint Podcast, episode number 100. I feel like we need some streamers or some balloons or something going on, Mike. We're episode 100 here of the show, which is very, very cool. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing excellent, and we have virtual balloons, right? Everything's virtual these days. That's true. So we've got there you virtual go. balloons and streamers and all these things going on. Yeah, very good. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe uh, the editor will put a little uh, little party noise in the background or something like that <laughs> to <laughs> celebrate the show. Uh, we're going to talk about risk and being a risk taker this go around of the podcast for episode 100, and what to do if maybe that balance is out of whack. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, we'll kick things off here with the economic hurricane prediction. Uh, I'm not sure if that's really a prediction if we're already in the hurricane. <laughs> but anyway, that was a headline this week from uh, Jamie Dimon, the JP Morgan guy. Yeah. Yeah. So Jamie Dimon, and that was the irony. Yeah. So, so he came, he came up recently, you know, this last week or a couple weeks ago and said, basically, brace yourself. You know, there's an economic hurricane, you know, that's coming, coming on. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he's, he speaks, it's like the old EF Hutton, right? So because he leads JP Morgan and still, you know, the U.S.'s largest bank that everybody listens to him, they respect him because he doesn't just say things flippantly. So, you know, usually he underplays things to keep everybody calm. So for him to say there's an economic hurricane coming, you just don't know how bad it is. That's kind of a big deal. So, you know, and markets took notice of that. I think the thing that was uneasy for most is just one week prior at a conference, Jamie Dimon, very same Jamie Dimon, said, there are storm clouds out there. We just don't know how bad the storm's going to be, but it's not a hurricane. <laughs> and yet, and one week later, he says, brace yourself. There's an economic hurricane coming. <laughs> uh, you know, and the, the reasons for it, you know, and, and he gave reasons, and they're all the same things that have the market royal this year. It's the, the war in Ukraine. It's the aggressive Fed that they're raising interest rates, you know, aggressively uh, and going to continue to do so. They're going to do what's called quantitative tightening. So this is in addition to the fact that everybody knows they cut interest rates to zero and now they're getting them off of zero because of inflation. Quantitative tightening is the opposite of quantitative easing. Mm. In addition to lowering interest rates, they were buying $125 billion of bonds like mortgage bonds and corporate bonds and that from the credit markets since the pandemic. And they're just now here in June of 2022 going to start selling those. So that's going to put pressure on credit markets in addition to raising interest rates, which are going to slow the economy, potentially risk a recession, risk a bear market. So that's the economic hurricane. You know, now he did say, you know, you may we may be able to kind of do a soft landing in those things. But the reality is that these are very real considerations, and it's why the markets have been choppy all year. It's inflation, it's an aggressive Fed raising rates, it's the war in Ukraine, and then the fact that the Fed's also going to start selling off all of these bonds that they've been but that they've been buying for the last two years. Yeah, well, living in uh, an area where you know we get hurricanes on the regular, uh, hurricanes bring choppiness. That is for sure. They bring some choppy water, and they bring a lot of. Uh, but you know what? It's it's it, it's an interesting statement for sure because. 
and maybe this is just me being silly talking, but I've stood on the beach during a Category 2 as the hurricane's coming in, but I certainly wouldn't be standing out there on a strong 3, right? So to his kind of changing in a week, hey, storms pick up, right? So you never know what's going to go on, but it is kind of funny the way way you worded (laughs) that. Uh, But so that all brings it back to risk, right? So are you a risk taker? Are you taking too much? You probably are. A lot of times what we find, especially the last, I don't know, what, three, two, three months, Mike, is that, over the last 12 years, it's been very easy to kind of get in this groove, right? You're, hey, the markets have been crazy good, uh, you know, so in some places that some things have tripled and so on and so forth. So I'm taking a little extra risk because why not? I'm making great money. Well, then when it starts to switch and the storm blows in, well, now maybe your risk doesn't match anymore uh, on how you're feeling because we all don't mind the risk when everything's going up. It's when it goes down that we got an issue. So uh, let's see. Let's take a look at it. I got a couple questions for you. What percentage, and I know you can't nail this, but just give me a ballpark of your clients consider themselves to be comfortable with risk. And then what percentage do you think uh, are like, hey, I've, I'm scared of risk. I want to stay away from it. Yeah. So we, we typically see two different types of clients. Uh, and this is prior to 2022 and the recent volatility and you know market of people that we had. Uh, the first one comes in, they say, you know what? I get how this game's played. I've been very successful the past 10, 12 years. And this doesn't matter if they're 50, 60, 70, you know, they've been in the market. So it comes out and says, you know what? Everything is, everything's great. I understand that's just part of the game. You know, the markets go up and down. And then all of a sudden you get things like March, 2020, you get things like, you know, 2022 here where markets are down double digits. And then they're like, wait, 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 I got to do something now, you know, because they were comfortable with risk until they started losing. People forget that volatility, there's upside volatility, and that's what everybody likes. And then there's downside volatility, which people say they're comfortable with until it presents itself. So, you know, so a lot of people will come in saying that they're very comfortable with volatility and they understand that's how markets work. But the reality is until volatility hits. (laughs) And And then the second person is the polar opposite. And this doesn't matter if they've got 500,000 or 5 million, they come in and they're close to retirement, then retirement. They said, Mike, you know, I get the market goes up and down. I get a long run, you know, that the market goes straight from the bottom left to the top right. And there is some choppiness there, but I don't want to lose a penny. I don't want to take any risk whatsoever. You know, so they want things that are insured. They want things that are safe or a lot less risky than, you know, the stock market in general. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those. The more dangerous of the two is probably the first one because they're going to take way too much more risk than they need to, and it's going to cause more damage in the downtimes. But for even that person that's being more kind of too conservative, the problem with that is they might feel good. But in times like now when inflation's printing over 8%, the problem with that is now they're purchasing power. So they're good today and they're safe today. But in five years and 10 years, that same dollar, because they were being conservative with it, isn't going to have the same purchasing power as it will in the future. Okay. So you mentioned the two types of people uh, saying how they feel about the risk. So how often then when you dissect the actual portfolio, does it match what they just said? Never. It, it doesn't. <laughs> and, and, and the reason of it, and, and I, I blame Wall Street and I blame our industry about this and even just you know 401k legislation to the Department of Labor, because I'll, I'll give you one specific example, because I guarantee you for those that are listening to the show that haven't retired yet, or they've got the money still in their old 401k, a lot, you know, it's 2022 right now. So there's these what they call target date funds out there. So a target date fund says, pick the year you're going to retire, and then we'll take it from there. You know, so every year you get closer to retirement, we'll get more conservative. Perfect. You know, it's it's a it's the Ron Popeil set it and forget it type thing. So what happens is they say, okay, well I'm I'm retiring early 2020s, so I'm going to pick the target date 2025 fund. Right, that's just three years from now. So somebody that's going to be retiring three years from now 
you assume that's a pretty conservative fund, right? They, these people can't afford to lose double digits and big chunks of their money. And they're knocking on the door of retirement. Well, if you dig into most 2025 funds, they're 60 to 65% in stocks and only 35 to 40% in fixed income or bonds. Well, how is having 60% of your money, if you're in your you know, early mid 60s, how is having well over half of your you know, largest asset other than your home is going to be your retirement accounts? How is that a good thing? Because even when you look in 2022 here with the way that the markets have performed, those funds are down 10 to 15% year to date. How is that conservative for somebody that's supposed to be knocking on the door of retirement? You know, so when you know, a lot of times when their portfolio doesn't match, it's because either their broker's in love with the stock market, he's a Wall Street cheerleader, and they're just got their pom-poms going out being like, hey, you know, the only market's the only place to be. It's like, but I'm getting close to retirement. I need to be more conservative. Oh, don't worry about it. But don't worry about it because it's not their money. That's what they tell you. Whereas, and even in the 401k, guess what? Your employer, they can't give you financial advice. They're not a fiduciary. So instead, hey, just pick a target date fund that's a lot more aggressive than you think that it is. Yeah. So, okay. So we've ascertained that uh, we feel a certain way, and then we've ascertained that most of the time where our portfolio doesn't match how we actually feel. So how in the world can we figure this out? You know, for if we're taking too much risk, how do we know? You mentioned, you know, obviously the industry does a bad job in education. We know that's not great. So how can we figure this out? Yeah, two different ways. So to keep it, you know, probably the easiest way, and I'll just give you a baseline because, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Some people have a greater capacity for risk, you know, not comfort level, but could afford to take more risk than others based on resources, income, those kind of things. But I would say as a baseline, I would say there's something called the rule of 100. So take 100 minus your age, and that's about where your starting position for equity could be. Now you can have a little bit more, a little bit less. So let's just say you are a 60-year-old. 100 minus your age of 60, that means you should have about, give or take, around 40% of your money in equities to where if you know the world blows up, then you don't. it's not going to completely derail your portfolio. Now, if you're more conservative, you might want 20 or 30. If you're more aggressive, you want 50, but that's a good baseline. So then that's kind of step one. Step two, if you're doing it yourself, is then go and look at what you own. What percentage of, if you own mutual funds, take a look at the fund. What percentage is in stocks? What percentage is in bonds and fixed income? If you own individual stocks and bonds, what percentage is in the, in the market? And what percentage is in fixed income? Does it align with that rule of 100? If it doesn't, you might need to make some changes. The easier way to do it, and the way that I think you know everybody should do it, and granted, I'm a little biased, but I've seen people screw it up, is go in, find yourself a fiduciary, whether it's us or another advisor that only operates truly as a fee-based fiduciary, sit down with them, put a plan together. They'll tell you how much risk you should, should not be taken. They'll tell you how to do things in a tax efficient manner. They'll tell you how you're going to get income off your portfolio in good markets and bad. And now you know why you're making the decisions that you're doing. So that's how you can tell how much risk you either got to kind of roll up your sleeves and say, do the rule of 100 and then dig through all the different investments and things that you have out there in all the different accounts, or go see a professional and let them do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. So where, how do we get here? I guess that's maybe the bigger question is how do we get into this position where we're taking a lot of unnecessary risk? We kind of touched on the industry a little bit. Is it just a traditionalism too of uh, we get a job, we pump the money into the 401k because that's what we've been taught for the last 40 years and that's what we do. And so we just don't think about it, you know, because we have all these kinds of things, just these, I don't know, I guess conventional wisdoms. Yeah. Two things come to mind. One, and I tell clients in our practice all the time, if first thing is stop investing like a 30-year-old, right? If you, if you come to my office and you're 58, you're 62, you're 68, 
and you're you know 60, 80% in the market, but you've saved all that you need to save. So the goal now is not to screw it up. It's not about trying to get more necessarily. We all like more, but <laughs> not at the expense of losing half or more of what we already have. So stop investing like a 30-year-old. When you were 20, 30, 40, even early 50s, you're saving for the long run. You don't need this money for 20, 30 plus years, right? So market corrections are your friend. When you've amassed a larger chunk and you're really close to needing it because you're either close to retirement or in retirement, the game changes now. Now it's about don't screw it up, protect what you have. Yes, still get growth to keep up with inflation, but you need to generate an income off of that. And I call this what I call the four, the second part is the 401k mindset. Everybody looks at their statement, right? When they get it on a monthly or a quarterly basis, they take a look and say, did it go up? Did it go down? Did it go up? Did it go down? And that's how they approach investing. You know, not what are the fundamentals of the company or why do I own what I, what I own? The 401k mindset is we've been trained over the last 20, 30 years to basically just look at your statement. Did, you know, if it's green and it went up, great. That was, that was a good quarter. If it went down, oh, wait, well, who, somebody screwed something up. You know, it's not the way the market works. Somebody had to do something wrong. And instead, you know, when you get close to retirement, in retirement, you got to stop having a 401k mindset. You got to stop treating your statement like it's a scoreboard just to rack up more points. Instead, you look at your money, you look at your retirement funds, you look at your savings and say, what do I need at this stage of my life? What do I need it to do for me? Do I need it to generate income I cannot live? Do I want to leave a legacy for my kids? Is this for, you know, I don't need it for income because I got a pension, social security. It's really designed if I had a long-term care or a healthcare event. Assign purpose to your money. That's why in my book, we call it purpose-based investing. Nine lessons to rescue your retirement from Wall Street. Why? Because as you approach or in retirement, assign purpose to the funds that you have. And at no point is the purpose just to get more. More is not a purpose. More is not a goal. You know, more is not going to get your kids or grandkids ice cream, right? So <laughs> at the end of the day, what you really want to do is say, okay, you know, this is, I've done a great job saving. I can't afford to screw it up. So let's put a plan in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, the, the 30 year old thing definitely resonates. Uh, I wish I could stop eating like a 30 year old, but uh, <laughs> the investing side certainly makes a lot of sense. So we tend to do, again, that traditionalism or that conventional wisdom gets a lot of people in this mindset, Mike, that you got two places to park your money right? Realistically, the bank and Wall Street, right? The market. Uh So is there a way, and that's not right. Obviously, there's more than just two places, but that's what most people wind up thinking often. Is there a way to significantly reduce portfolio risk without also significantly reducing opportunities for potential growth? Now, granted, I know inflation is crazy high right now, but just in general times. Yeah, there's quite a few things that you can do. And we, we take clients through a process. Like, so when a client comes aboard and we're building out a plan for them, we, you know, our first meeting is discovery meeting. Here's where you are. Find out where you want to go. Identify any gaps so we know what we actually have to work on, you know, to improve the success of your retirement. And then that second meeting is what we call a design meeting, or I call it a co-design meeting, because I'm going to take, you know, what you said and where we identified those gaps to get to where you want to go and the timeline and the income and all those things. And then we're going to say, okay, here's the, here's the, here's how we fill those gaps, right? Here's how we get rid of those red flags and landmines and kind of make sure you're on track. So you have a great plan together. You know, it's going to last you the rest of your life. And then, but I call it a co-design meeting because then we're going to talk about all the pros and cons. And there's certain things that you may not be willing to give up, or there's things that you say, Hey, that sounds great, Mike, but I think I'd rather do this. Great. It's your money. So let's talk about the pros and cons on our recommendations and just kind of vet out a plan that we're actually going to stick with. So when it comes to reducing the risk in the portfolio, but we don't want to reduce the opportunity on the portfolio for somebody that's you know more inclined to be market-based, 
then it might be on the risk side of it. You know, I put three buckets on our kind of digital whiteboard there and I say, okay, we got a risk bucket, an income bucket, and an insured bucket. On the risk side, that's going to be our dividend blue chip paying stocks so that, yes, over time, we'll get growth in the market on those stocks. But in the meantime, maybe we're getting about a 4% dividend income stream off of them. So we're getting growth and income on the same investment at the same time. You know, more risk because it's in the market, but they tend to be more conservative type stocks, more blue chip dividend paying stocks. In the middle bucket, it's going to be all of our fixed income. You know, we don't expect growth on these. We just want dividends and interest on a consistent basis. We want cash flow off our investments. That's our bonds, our preferreds, our real estate, those kind of things. You know, maybe about a 4% cash flow. Then on the far left, we've got our insured stuff. So if, you know, that could be treasuries, you know, government bonds. Uh, that could be things like, you know, CDs at the bank. It could be things like what they call fixed annuities. And anytime you hear an annuity, there's just an insurance company involved. They got fixed rate annuities today paying you three and a half, four and a quarter percent, you know, beats the bank. Mm-hmm. And then you have insured annuities, index annuities, which basically link you to the market, but you don't have the losses of the market. So maybe you're only getting 40% of the upside or something of the market, but you don't get any of the downside, you know? So over time, it'll do better than your bonds, but you don't risk any losses. So what you do is, you know, you you put that plan together, show on the board and say, for your goals, here's how much should be in the insured bucket. Here's how much should be in the fixed income. Here's how much should be in the market. And here's what's going to happen in good markets and bad. And you just kind of talk through it. Are we willing to have that type of plan? Are we willing to stick with that kind of plan? And if so, great, then it makes sense. If not, then that's where kind of the kabuki dance begins, where we say, okay, well, no, we're not comfortable with this much in the market, or we don't want that much in the fixed income side because rates are rising. But it's about having an educated conversation on what makes sense for you and then just tweaking the plan accordingly. Okay. So then how do we figure out what's appropriate for us? Uh, How do we get our sleep number? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's a great way. And, And we talk about it all the time on the show. Sit down with a fiduciary, a financial planner who has your best interest legally in mind. That's what a fiduciary is. Roll up your sleeves, sit down and say, you know what? I'm going to be serious about this. Whether I'm going to pay somebody to do the plan for me. You know, and that could be anywhere from a thousand to five thousand bucks for most people. It just depends on you know who you're working with and how complicated it is. Or it could be something like, you know what, I want a relationship. So I'm willing to pay an ongoing advisory fee instead of you know a one-time plan, but I'm gonna have them develop a plan for me. And our plan, we call it the retirement success blueprint. You know, it's our proprietary process, it covers five areas. One, where's our income coming from in retirement? You know, how are we claiming social security, our pensions, how much income do we need off our portfolio? How do we get a rising income? Second, that's risk management. That's the investment part. How much risk should we take or not to achieve the goals that we have? Third, tax mitigation. How do we reduce taxes over your lifetime? Not just you know throw seven thousand in an IRA and you know take a tax deduction. How do we do Roth conversions or strategically do things that are going to reduce your taxes potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars over the next 10, 20 years? Fourth, healthcare. And we begin that with, you know, whether it's about claiming Medicare or long-term care, if we had a healthcare event, how would we pay for it? And then the fifth thing is the estate planning side. Do you have all the right documents in place if something were to happen to you now, both living and when you pass to leave the legacy that you want? Those five things, you now have a plan. And going back to the original question, how do you find out how much financial risk is appropriate? Figure out how much income you need, where it's coming from. That tells you how much risk you need to take and could you be doing it in a more tax-efficient way? That's having a true financial plan. 
All right, folks. Well, that's the risk-taking conversation. Are you risk-taking? We've all seen these videos, right, of somebody 50-plus jumping on their grandson's or son's skateboard, and you're like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know it's <laughs> going to be a bad idea, uh, yeah. and it ends up usually being a bad idea. So don't take risk if you don't need to, but just certainly make sure that you've got a proper plan in place. Reach out to Mike if you need some help. If you're not already working with him at crystallaketax.com, that's crystallaketax.com, and hit that subscribe button as well for whatever podcasting uh, platform you like to use, and drop an email as well if you'd like to and that's how we're going to wrap up with charlotte in chicago and she says i'm retiring in the latter half of the year mike exact date tbd but amazingly i've got 16 weeks of unused vacation and six sick leave that they're going to have to pay me for so i can get this on my final check it appears or have it uh, drawn into the next year for a couple of months after she wants to know, is there any kind of a difference in whether she takes it in the calendar year or lets it roll into the next year and get some more checks, even if she's retired this year? Yeah, yeah, sure. This is a great question. And the main reason why and we're working with the client right now, you know, and they've got the same thing, you know, about three, four months of, of you know, PTO paid time off that they're going to get paid out at her upcoming retirement. So we look at it and say, okay, there's several things that you can do. Where we start this is really asking two questions. One, where's your income level this year? And, you know, and what's it going to be for the remainder of the year while you're retired? You know, if we're taking money out of our retirement accounts or blaming Social Security, whatever it happens to be. And the second thing is, do you need this money? If they were to pay you out lump sum, you know, like, hey, I don't have much of a, you know, emergency savings. It's all in my 401k. So I could really use this to pump up my savings or something. Or no, Mike, I don't need this. I've been a good saver. I got my emergency fund. So one, you know, as your emergency fund, you need this money for something. And the other side is where's your income this year going to come in? So why that is appropriate is let's say you don't need this money, Charlotte, then you can apply up to 75% of that lump sum amount, those 16 weeks. So basically about 12 of those weeks, three months of that income, you can actually dump it into your 401k or your retirement plan pre-tax. So you're not paying all the taxes up front on all of it. So if you haven't already maxed out your 401k for the year and we're sitting here in the middle of the year and you still got another 10 or 15,000 or 20,000 you could put in there, you can use a majority of that, three quarters of that, actually just pre-fund in a lump sum from that last check to not pay all the taxes right now, if that makes sense for you. So that's one way to save taxes today on that. You know, you'll basically save about 20, 25% income taxes day one, and you'll still have all those dollars. The second part of it is if you say, Mike, no, you know, I do need this money. I want to build up my savings. Well, then you pay the taxes and you take it as a lump sum and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that if that makes you financially more secure or that lump sum, you know, that X amount of thousands of dollars is now going to go pay off the final car payment or pay off the rest of the mortgage. So now your cash flow is better. So the best way you do it, Charlotte, you know, you're here at retirement. You got all this, you know, money choices to make on not only what to do with your 401ks or you know, 457 or TSP, depending on the kind of you know retirement plan that you have and the type of work that you did, but you want to look at where's your income going to be as well. You know, so that comes out putting a plan together. You know, from a tax perspective, knowing where your income is this year, what's it going to be next year? If we could flip it into roll it into the beginning of next year or so, that'd be an option too. You know, because you'll be in a lower tax bracket potentially. So it all begins with putting that plan together, Charlotte. That's always, you know, kind of you ask, you ask what should I do? Always have a financial plan. Why? Because then the financial plan can answer all these questions for you. So congratulations on your retirement, Charlotte. Uh, if you've got any questions, we're here for you. All right. Thank you so much for listening, Charlotte, and everybody else who's checking out the podcast. We appreciate your time, as always, here on the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart. Again, stop by the website, crystallaketax.com, for tools, tips, and info, as well as to subscribe to the show. crystallaketax.com. 
Mike, thanks for hanging out, my friend. Uh, I will talk to you sometime in July, and we'll go from there. Happy 100th to you, Mark. That's, that's right. I was like, wait, I'm not that old yet. I appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, checking out all these episodes. We'll be back with much more here on the Retirement Success Blueprint. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Store. The Retirement Income Store and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are associated entities.